Hi, everyone, and welcome to Oscar Wilde, a podcast about film, always counting down to next year's Oscars. I'm Sophia Simonello. And I'm Nick Rokraut. And today we are going to be returning to our best popular Oscar game, but this time we're covering the 2000s instead of the 2010s. Very excited to go back to this decade and talk about some of these movies. But before we do that, we have to welcome back our special guest, the man of the people, Ryan Lamb. Welcome, Ryan. Hi, Sophia. Hi, Nick. Super pumped to be here. I know it's you know been a long national nightmare for the listeners of, of Oscar Wilde to not have me here. So I'm glad that I could finally satisfy the people and, and come back and spend some time with you guys. We found a good time to bring you back. We'll also be going over a quick recap of Black Widow, since that was our most recent MCU film, and I have my five-minute timer ready. Let's just go right into Black Widow. Ryan, what was it like seeing a brand new MCU movie? So it was, what, over two years since the last time that we had an MCU movie in theaters with Spider-Man Far From Home, and it was a drought. It was painful, and so I was pumped to finally be in theater, sitting down in front of the big screen, watching a full-blown Marvel movie. Of course, we had the TV series, Wanda and Falcon the Winter Soldier and Loki over the past year as well, but I would say that those don't necessarily live up to the cinematic experience, and so it was wonderful to actually be in theaters and to get a watch, you know, a a nice, tight two-hour movie, and I, I loved it. It's maybe not up there with Endgame, but it's definitely a top 10 MCU film to me, starting out at the beginning where it feels like you're watching the Americans and uh, very intense leading into that just incredible, phenomenal credit sequence. Uh, It just gave me the goosebumps. And it really felt like you were watching a spy movie for the first half. And then the second half kind of turns into that traditional kind of MCU boom, boom, pow fair um, (laughs) that you might get used to seeing. And I I specifically really enjoyed the first half of the film. And the second, I still had fun. It's probably a B plus, A minus movie um, to me in terms of the MCU films. Nick, do you want to go first? (laughs) I will start off by saying this is my number two MCU movie. Oh, wow. I didn't expect that. I do agree with liking the first half. And then I think it devolves into like Marvel equation fluff pretty much at that point. And it kind of got slow, but then it did pick up in the end. As not an avid viewer of MCU movies, I will say the placement of the timeline here kind of confused me. I kind of just ran with it and watched for its enjoyment value. We don't have to go into like where it is and what's happening and characters and who's alive and who's dead and blip and whatnot. But I will ask you, Ryan, if one you liked when this movie is coming out, because I did figure out that this was supposed to be like pretty far in the past at this point. And then another question with the ending. I mean, I loved seeing JLD on screen, but I didn't watch the show. So is that like a huge moment that you think is going to be dealt with either in TV or film? I don't really know where that's going to go either. I did read some people were were confused and didn't really understand the timing. And I would say it's probably not ideal that they went backwards with this film in terms of its placement in the MCU timeline. But that being said, 
I, I think the fact that Marvel has not done a great job of exploring their female superheroes, the fact that having a chance to go and dive into Black Widow and understand her past and her story was something that a lot of fans were really craving. She was really one of two Avengers, her and Hawkeye, who they really don't explore their backstory in any kind of movie outside of the Avengers films. And I think it was very important that the MCU took time to explore her story. And the fact that it was just such a phenomenal story, I think really just adds icing on top. And then your second question, Nick, about Julia Louis-Dreyfus having that cameo. You know, so far she actually also cameoed in Falcon and Winter Soldier at the end as well. Um, A very similar kind of cameo where she shows up and she recruits a a superhero to some sort of initiative that she has going on. I'm not a huge comic book reader, but my understanding is that this is going to have huge implications uh, for the upcoming Marvel movies and TV shows. And essentially they're going to be building the Avengers, but instead of having all these heroes, it's going to be filled with these anti-heroes or, or kind of these people that you, you might root for, but also kind of have a nefarious side to them as well. But the nefarious side will be explained, like something had to happen to them that made them this way, right? Well, obviously, you, you got, I don't know if you guys spent too much time with Falcon and the Winter Soldier, but they do spend a lot of time on U.S. Agent and explaining why he is the way he is. So I think you get the grounding there, Sophia. Okay. You just have to watch the second TV series on Disney+. Plus. I skipped that one. I did Wanda most of it. <laughs> and I'm actually watching Loki for Tom. So TBD on that. Yeah, Ryan, I feel that like the placement of Black Widow, just how the timeline goes of, you know, when it was made. My problem with that is like, I got attached to this character and to her story watching the movie now. So then I was just upset that I wouldn't get more. Um, And maybe that would have made me like Endgame more if it came earlier and I had more of an attachment to this character. But I think it's better that they made the movie than not at all. Like, I was glad to have the story even if it is now. And I do think my favorite part of the movie was definitely that opening scene like you talked about. One, because it was in Ohio. Two, because it reminded me of the Americans. But also I loved the sister dynamic I thought that Florence Pugh was the standout of the movie. She gets the best lines. Mm-hmm. Like, who knew she was an action star? Kind of same comments as you guys. I think once they went up and found the Red Room, that's when I lost interest. Once it kind of looked like a typical Marvel movie and less like a Bond or a Bourne type of movie, that's when I kind of started to mm-hmm. fade away. But I still enjoyed it. I think that's a really great point, specifically when you were discussing Endgame and how there's a huge sacrifice she makes in Endgame. But because we've spent so little time understanding her backstory and her motivations, it doesn't carry the weight that I think now if someone were to watch these films in order and and then go see Endgame for the first time, I think what happens there, you're going to be way more broken apart by. And for me personally, I was already tearing up, so I could only imagine where I would be at. (laughs) Is this you trying to tell me to watch all of them in order? I think this is a great opportunity for you to revisit Endgame, the uh, finest of the MCU films. Thankfully, we won't be getting into any of these today. I was just going to say, this is really, you know, establishing our credibility and talking about popular films that did really well at the box office. We may not be getting a ton into MCU movies, but I think 
a point I'll bring up is definitely a good segue into the MCU universe and the films that they've developed. So getting into our rules and a little bit of the background into what we'll be doing today. So we'll be mirroring what we did last August with our best popular Oscar of the 2010s. We'll be doing the 2000s today. Quick recap here. In November of 2018, the Academy president, John Bailey, said they would have this best popular Oscar category created in direct response to the Oscar telecasts diminished television ratings. The idea was scrapped pretty quickly with all the backlash that happened. So there was never actually any criteria stated for the best popular Oscar category. And I think that was part of the problem was that, you know, not having any criteria here, just coming out with this statement, they didn't even really have a name for the award yet. And that, I think, is what sent people into a frenzy. And I know I mentioned this on our 2010s episode, but part of the problem, of course, with it being in 2018 was that a lot of people thought, okay, well, this is the place where the Academy will do the convenient thing and they will recognize Black Panther as a best popular film, Mm -hmm. but they won't nominate it for best picture, even though we have that caveat there. So I think that was some of the fear. I think some of it was like people being pretentious for sure, but pretty much everyone like jumped on this and thought it was a bad idea. But Ryan, because we haven't discussed this with you on the pod, when this idea was proposed, I know that we had conversations about it. Did you think it was a good idea? From my perspective, I think, especially after this past year, Oscars, which I don't want to offend anybody here, isn't really pulling in a lot of people. People are just not interested in engaging with the Oscars. And so the concept of a best popular Oscar, I think really is an opportunity for the Academy to reach out to a lot of the audiences that might be a little more alienated by things like Nomadland that just they don't connect to. And so from that perspective, I think it's a great growth opportunity for the Oscars. But I also understand that a lot of people were unhappy with the idea as well. And, you know, ultimately there's a box office. And so the people can speak with their dollars. Exactly. That's how I feel about that. And I think I'm thinking about too, right? Like who is this mythical person who's going to sit through three hours of the Oscars that they've never watched before? just because Avengers Endgame is nominated. Like, do those people exist? Is that a market you can draw in? Or is it something that is just a fantasy, basically, to try to get more viewers? I think so. I mean, think about the celebrity industry and how much people care and pay attention. And so if you have an Oscar ceremony where you get Chris Evans and Robert Downey Jr. and everyone that you see in the Avengers all showing up to the Oscars, I think that adds another level of star power that obviously there's still a lot of star power, but maybe this brings some more of the accessible people that people are seeing more on their television screens and in the movie theaters. One thing I want to point out, I think, and talk about is that today we're thinking about Rotten Tomatoes. We're thinking about box office because those are things that that's data that's easily accessible and it makes sense. But I'm really kind of wondering, I think, what the Academy would have done here Because I think what would have ended up happening is it would have just gamified things for studios even more. I don't think they would have had criteria like a box office threshold. I mean, maybe a theater count. I'm not really sure what they would have done. But I do feel like they could say this is something you could make an appeal for. If Focus Features last year thought that Promising Young Woman, a movie that a lot of people were talking about, would have been a good submission for the Best Popular Oscar if this was a thing... I think they would submit it that way, and then the Academy could decide 
whether or not they would consider it that way. But I don't think they would have had any criteria like we have today or criteria that would have been public. And I think this would have maybe caused even more problems than how we're thinking it could go. I like where your mind is going because now I'm thinking they submit everything else, all of their other nominations. Mm -hmm. They have to submit them and they're approved in a way. And then along those lines, I feel like they could even release a short list of like 15 to 20 potential nominees where either people vote or I don't know what that voting body would even be. It would probably be the entire academy. And then it would be narrowed down to five or 10, depending on what their rules would have been for that category. But I think that's a more inclusive way of having some discussion and dialogue around the films, at least, that could be in the category. So here's my idea. Oh, gosh. We make this like an American Idol type thing and America votes. Ryan. And we all get to text our votes. Ryan. To the Academy. As of now, I mean, I guess that would be a good way to engage the public, but they would never do that. They won't even show us the votes. So today, here's how this will work. We have each selected five nominees for the Best Popular Film Oscar for each year of the 2000s, so 2000 through 2009. And each of our nominees has to meet the following criteria. One, it has to have made enough money to be in the top 20 domestic box office and it has to have achieved at least a 65% Rotten Tomatoes audience score. This, like last time, kept decreasing, but it decreased even more for this set of nominees just so we would have more options. And now it's at 65% instead of 70%. If applicable, the films that we've selected could have been nominated for Best Picture during their corresponding Oscar year. And our last rule is that the film can also be in the top 20 box office for a different year than its release year. For example, if a movie was released in 2000, but it was in the top 20 for 2001, it is still eligible. But it can only be nominated once, and it can only be nominated in its release year, similar to the Oscars. And we'll share, of course, if this is applicable for any of our nominees. So we'll each read off all of our nominees, and then we'll choose a winner based on our mutual nominees. If our individual winner wasn't chosen by everyone else, each of us will have a chance to make a case for it. And before we go through each year and reveal our nominees, I want to ask both of you, what do you think of when you think of this decade in movie going? This was a very formative time for us, 2000 to 2009. So for me, this is, uh, I think, the decade where I really came into understanding of movies beyond just that thing that your parents put on the TV. Mm -hmm. More movies as an experience and something that you're going to actively go to the theaters and you're going to watch, you're going to get excited about, you're going to get attached to the actors, you're going to learn about the directors and see a movie by a, one director and think, oh my gosh, that movie was awesome. What else did this director make? And you want to go and explore that. And for me, this period was when I started to do all of those things. Similarly for me, I will say that 2009 specifically was when I really got into the Oscars. So this collection of movies definitely had a big impact on my movie going and how I saw movies. But really as a whole, these are the movies I saw growing up. My 12th birthday party was spent in a theater seeing Bruce Almighty. Oh my God. I'm laughing because I also went to a birthday party where we saw Bruce Almighty. <laughs> Another Oscar Wilde connection. So weird. 
Yeah, I mean, this is the decade where every single movie that I loved, I got the DVD every Christmas on my Christmas list. Mm -hmm. It was, oh, I saw this movie. This movie was so cool. I must have it on DVD. And uh, you're now with streaming and Netflix. You know, I I pretty much never open up my case of all my DVDs, but uh, it is exciting. And and preparing for this podcast, I went and flipped that open and got a walk down memory lane thinking about Mm -hmm. all these movies Mm -hmm. that I loved and just rewatched over and over again. I mean, this was really the decade where DVDs even became a thing, right? I remember getting Fast and Furious on DVD, the the Fast (laughs) and the Furious. There are so many. On DVD. And I think at the time that was like the highest selling DVD of all time for like a really long time. And mm-hmm. also widescreen at home wasn't necessarily a thing. And so like some of my my DVDs are full screen and I'm like, oh my gosh, Ryan, what were you thinking? Why do you have Attack of the Clones in full yeah. screen? But I do. My dad would always get so mad at us because we would want to watch the movie in full screen. And he would be like, no, you don't want to see the bars because we didn't want to see the black bars. And yeah, we would pick full screen. He's like, no, this is not the way to watch the movie. I totally forgot about that until now. Oh, my God. I mentioned how this is when I really actively started seeking out the theater experience, but also the home movie experience, I think, really greatly grew mm-hmm. during this period as well. And I remember coming home one day and my parents had decided to get a big widescreen TV and it, it boggled our mind because we couldn't believe our parents would ever go and splurge for that. And we had surround sound. And I just remember watching things like X-Men on this big widescreen TV and just having this awesome like it. You know, obviously it doesn't compare to the movies, but as a 13 year old, it felt like I was at the Mm -hmm. movie theater with with these new exciting technologies. And that's even laughable compared to the home theater experiences that we have today. Ryan, what you said at the beginning, I was thinking about a lot, too, was just this was, I think, the period, at least for me, of the event movie. Like going to movies at midnight was so cool and so fun to do. And that was really, I think, taking off for me at this time. The Oscars were always on in my house growing up, and I remember, I'll get into specific movies that I remember winning Best Picture Mm -hmm. as we kind of go through the years, but about this time, especially in the beginning of the decade, a lot of these movies that were nominated for Best Picture, I wasn't going to see them in the theater because I was too young, unless my parents would take me. I mean, this is a period of time where I couldn't see our movies, right? I mean, we were babies. You weren't allowed. Right. You were a little kid. And so some of the best movies during this period, you couldn't go see or or you did see, but then you felt guilty about it or you did it behind your parents' back. <laughs> As I got older through the decade, that's when I really started to pay attention to the Oscars and started to really care about what was getting nominated, started to predict. It was just cool to, I think, like think back on that as we think about this decade. And I think going through a lot of these years, I was getting very nostalgic for that sense of discovery. I, I mean, I still have it, but this captures a period of my life between what seven and 16 there's so much nostalgia and i think that's what's so fun because over the years now i've revisited these and i can remember moments of actually sitting in the theater and watching these movies specifically the first harry potter and being Mm -hmm. like it's finally happening we're finally seeing the movies i've read however many books have been out at this point so i think it's fun to think back on those moments and to think how young we were like we were in middle school and high school when this happened (laughs) which is crazy to think so i think rewatching movies for this pod specifically was really fun and seeing if they held up or not and we're definitely gonna get into that 
Yeah. So let's get started with 2000. So my nominees are Castaway, Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon, Aaron Brockovich, Gladiator, and Remember the Titans. Were those all Oscar movies? Three of them are. Wow. So that's a, it's going to decline as the years go on. <laughs> my nominees are very different. Oh, God. <laughs> Chicken Run, Gladiator, Gone in 60 Seconds, Meet the Parents, and Remember the Titans. So I have shockingly more overlap with Nick. My nominees are Gladiator, Meet the Parents, Remember the Titans, The Patriot, and X-Men. The Patriot was so close for me. It was like right on the bubble. I love Jason Isaacs in that. Oh my God. The scene in The Patriot where Mel Gibson goes into the woods with his little kids and they just destroy the British, the Redcoats. Oh my gosh. That was speaking of a movie that my parents didn't want me to see back in 2000. That scene was certainly there. I forgot until I was going through these how much of a thing Mel Gibson was at the time. He was definitely a box office magnet of the 2000s and was making a lot of movies. So overlap here. We have Gladiator and Remember the Titans. Any that you want to stump for that were not mutual picks? I know we have our criteria, but as I always do, I kind of waver with how I choose mine. So I think with mine, I also took into account me in that year, so 2000, and what I enjoyed and found really popular and maybe what I still think of to this day. So I think specifically here, it's like Meet the Parents. Meet the Parents was very close for me. That was like okay. probably number six or seven, The Patriot, The Patriot, Meet the Parents, and Chicken Run, to be honest. Those were all okay. like in the mix of things I could pick. I mean, I think specifically Meet the Parents everybody saw meet the parents mm-hmm. like your grandma saw meet the parents and loved meet the parents it was just it, it was kind of back when everybody used to go and see these comedies mm-hmm. and yeah. th- that's not really the experience anymore but back in 2000 meet the parents everyone saw it yeah i think i just think of i think of the criteria and i wanted to take advantage of the fact that like this was a year where a lot of really good movies were popular and like when i think back on this time i remember Crouching Tiger, Hidden Dragon more than I remember Gone in 60 Seconds. Um, And maybe that is because of the Oscars, but I wanted to recognize that a really good movie did really well at the box office. And that's not something that necessarily would happen today. But I would take everything that you just said there, Sophia, and I would apply that to our mutual nominee, Gladiator. I mean, this was the Best Picture winner in 2000. And it was beloved by not just the Academy, but by people in general. It, it was just a phenomenal film. It's something, frankly, that movies today and TV shows today are still trying to make things that are as good as that movie. So this is one of the examples, too, where I remember, like, yes, I was only like seven years old at this time, like or when these Oscars happened. But I remember my dad loving Gladiator and having that DVD and him wanting that to win Best Picture. And that is also an example of a movie, I think, that when I was doing some research for this and looking back at reactions to that announcement for the popular Oscar, everyone said, what about Gladiator? I think we found our mutual winner. But before we finalize that, I will say, like with Aaron Brockovich, I didn't see that until last year for the first time. 
so I put Gone in 60 Seconds first, which I had seen and then rewatched on a Disney cruise in a movie theater. So it was the nostalgia there. That's fair. I get that. That superseded the Oscars attention. And I really loved Aaron Brockovich. So as we go forth, just remember that in some of my choices, maybe. (laughs) Mine too. I have plenty of years later where you will shake your head and be like, what's happening in that brain? I think for me, though, with Aaron Brockovich, like Julia Roberts is a person I think of when I think of 2000. I think of that Oscar win, but I also just think about her clothes and her as this fashion icon, her as this person in Hollywood and how she was America's sweetheart. So I think that's part of the reason why I put it in there too, is just because of Julia. For me, Aaron Brockovich was the peak parent movie. I know my parents (laughs) loved it. I remember them talking about it. But at the end of the day, going back to Gladiator, are you not entertained? (laughs) I knew that was coming and I knew you were going to say it, but I was not going to set you up for it. At least I thought I wouldn't, but here we are. So our winner for 2000 is Gladiator. Were there any movies that you wanted to mention quickly that you wished you could have nominated but didn't meet the criteria? So from the top 20 that didn't have a high enough score, I have Charlie's Angels and How the Grinch Stole Christmas. And then just from 2000 generally, what I like, Best in Show. Oh, my God. (laughs) So I'm going to hard pass on How the Grinch Stole Christmas. But for me, I think one of the the biggest heartbreakers, and I think something that's become incredibly popular over the years, is Miss Congeniality. Mm. I wish that that's one that was eligible, but box office-wise just wasn't up there. Out of the top 20, I was really sad to see that Charlie's Angels had such a low audience score. I was very upset by that. (laughs) And then I think just outside of the top 20, I would have nominated Bring It On at number 32. Mm -hmm. I love Bring It On. I think that that also has really become a classic. And then I'll also say the talented Mr. Ripley. I feel like that has aged really well and has found its audience in a lot of people who really love thrillers and love the celebrities of the 90s. Okay, next is 2001. My nominees are The Fast and the Furious, Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Ocean's Eleven, and Shrek. So for my nominees, I have Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Ocean's Eleven, Rush Hour 2, and The Princess Diaries. My nominees are Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, Ocean's Eleven, The Princess Diaries, and Shrek. Wow, lots of overlap. This is a great year. Yeah, I love these movies. This Mm -hmm. is exciting. So what's also fun about this year, all of my nominees were origins to either trilogies or sagas that from here on out, we will see a sequel to in this decade and then many more to come in the 2010s. So I think this is an interesting starting point where a lot of these films started theme parks or universes, and 2001 is what we have to blame for today. (laughs) (laughs) So we have three mutual films between all of us being Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone, Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, and Ocean's Eleven. Does anyone want to make a case for The Princess Diaries or Shrek? I think ultimately The Princess Diaries is an incredible film. It's a lot of fun to go back and watch. Is it my number one? No. I feel the same way. 
I put it on here as a nostalgia pick and one that I saw Mm -hmm. multiple times and owned the (laughs) DVD for. So I felt that I couldn't betray my younger self. I had to put it on, but it's not winning the popular Oscar. And same with Shrek. I feel like, you know, in our episode, we talked about Shrek and its importance and it being the first winner of the best animated feature category. But even though it was popular, I still wouldn't pick it compared to my other nominees. Yeah, I think with Shrek... Go listen to our season two premiere episode all about its 20th anniversary. This is so close to me, but I think it's a near third. Mm -hmm. For me, it's between Harry Potter and Lord of the Rings. Okay, guys. So here is my argument for why this needs to be Lord of the Rings. Number one, it's the best of the three Lord of the Rings movies. No, it's not. That maybe is not a wildly held opinion, <laughs> but it's definitely my opinion. I agree with you, Ryan. Um, and a lot of that, I think, does go back to the nostalgia. So I actually had no idea about Lord of the Rings until I was on vacation in Montana over the Christmas holiday. And my cousin said, hey, let's go watch this movie. And so I remember going into that movie theater in Montana and just... Literally the moment, if I could point to of any, like my movie coming of age, where I just saw how magic movies could be. And when you get to the end of that three-hour movie, and they aren't even close to getting that ring into the fiery pits of Mount Doom, that was just like, oh my gosh, this entire world just opened up for me to explore and understand. And, you know, that's just the nostalgia. I think if you go back to just the basic mechanics of the movie, I think it does a great job of introducing you to the world of Middle Earth. It's almost a horror or suspense film for the first third of the movie. And then it turns into this action movie towards the end as they battle against the orcs. And just ultimately one of my favorite movies of all time. And for me personally, the best of the three Lord of the Rings movies. And so that's why my vote is to have it here as our winner. It's not my favorite. Um, We'll talk about my favorite in a bit, but it's also my pick for the winner here. So I think as an adult, my pick here would be Ocean's Eleven. That's probably the one of those three that we share that like is just a fun movie that I really enjoy. And I love some of the later ones, too. I love the cast. Steven Soderbergh, obviously. But if I have to think back to, you know, what these movies meant to me at the time and what we're thinking of popular Oscar, I remember seeing Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone and that being just a magical experience and feeling so connected to that world and having read the book. But seeing Lord of the Rings, I felt grown up. It felt like the serious version of Harry Potter. And I know they're very different stories and that probably doesn't make sense, but as a kid seeing these, that's how I viewed it, is like, I get to experience this incredibly well-made movie. I remember I loved Gandalf. I obviously still do, but it really just connected me to that story. And I hadn't read the books yet, so the movie was my first entry point to that world. So I think that's why I do really connect to this one, even though it isn't my favorite, but it is why I think it's my winner here. Sophie, I have a really, really important question for of you course. about Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. Yeah, go for it. You say it was a close, but it's not your number one pick here. If Adam Driver played the centaur, <laughs> do we think that this would have been your pick? Ryan? Yes, it probably would have been my pick. <laughs> but I will say it probably, I don't know if it would have worked on me as an eight-year-old. I think that would have been weird. No, the Adam Driver effect, maybe not quite no, there for just, eight-year-old Sophie. Not quite yet. I will say my pick here is for Harry Potter. 
because like I said earlier, this is when I got to see everything that I had read happen on screen. And this is where we got, it's Leviosa, not Leviosa. And (laughs) these little, little kids that we were seeing on screen, we were growing up along with them. And Richard Harris was Dumbledore. The oh, he was such a good Dumbledore ultimate. too. Yeah, I mean, when you when you look at Harry Potter, especially the first two movies, they are truly the most adherent to the books. They are the scripts are almost the books identical. There's some cuts, but substantially, the adaptation is pretty direct. Whereas when we get into the later Harry Potter movies, they start to diverge greatly. And I think when you think about the Oscar popular category. I think that upset a lot of people as they started having to adapt and cut things because it was really not possible to put everything from the page on the screen. Mm -hmm. And so I can definitely see why, you know, if, if I would put a Harry Potter, you know, up here, this is definitely probably the one. Oh, really? I have one coming later. That's like my favorite, favorite Harry Potter Hmm. movie. Well, my favorite favorite is not in this decade. So it's unfortunately not, does not qualify. Also same. And I think I nominated it in the 2010s, but obviously it didn't win. That's kind of my point here is that this was the beginning. And I think this is its one chance to win. So that's why I'm buying for it. Oscar nominations and wins. I know that isn't even a long shot either for this because it was nominated for three and Fellowship of the Ring had 13 with four wins. But I still think it's incredible with John Williams on the score and Chris Columbus directing. I think strategically, I, I could be okay here with a Harry Potter win because I do love those films as well. And for me personally, Lord of the Rings is the best out of this crop in 2001. But I, you know, if the group felt that way, I, I could definitely hand it over to Harry Potter and the Sorcerer's Stone. See, Ryan, though, we were together on this one. <laughs> I feel because my my thing here is I obviously love both of these, but when you're in a a heat like this, I give the edge to the better movie. And I feel like Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring is more well made. So that's where I'm at, too. Ultimately, if I'm trying to play games here thinking, oh, is Two Towers going to take 2002, then maybe I can give it up here. But if that's not the case, it needs to be Lord of the Rings, Fellowship of the Ring. Nick, are you okay with that? I'm okay with that. I'm interested to see what your Harry Potter pick is. Oh, this would surprise you? I think I know. Is it Azkaban? Mm-hmm. We're not We'll saying. find out. We'll yeah. find yeah. out. Okay, so Fellowship was a close second for me, so I'm happy with it here. The Lord of the Rings, the Fellowship of the Ring is our winner for 2001. So then were there any other films that weren't eligible that you wanted to nominate? This one was eligible, but I want to point out that none of us nominated that, and that's Monsters, Inc., It's not that high up on my Pixar list, which is why I didn't nominate it, but I did Mm want to call it out as one that was close, obviously. My big one, though, is Legally Blonde. That's number 22, so it was very close and has an amazing performance from Reese Witherspoon. That is the character that I think of her as, is Elle Woods. And then I would say my other one is actually Moulin Rouge. I would have loved to have nominated that, but couldn't because it didn't make enough money. What about you guys? I think Legally Blonde is uh, a huge one. I'm definitely in agreement with Sophia on Legally Blonde. I think that movie is just a complete blast and, and a lot of fun and something that everyone or, or a lot of people look back very fondly on. Uh, another movie that I think is a similar vein is A Knight's Tale uh, with Heath Ledger. 
I also have Legally Blonde and Moulin Rouge. Another one that wasn't eligible was In the Mood for Love, one of my faves. But then one that didn't make the Rotten Tomatoes score cut was Spy Kids. Oh, I loved Spy Kids <laughs> back then. Oh, my God. The McDonald's part was revolutionary. So for my nominees for 2002, I have The Lord of the Rings, The Two Towers, Minority Report, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Signs, and Spider-Man. Ryan, we are five for five. Wow. Oh, my God. I can't believe it. It happened. See, you guys love to poke fun at how I just like all of these garbage movies, and here we are, the same filthy people. <laughs> yeah, so I don't even need to read my nominees. They're all the same. And I am four for five. I swapped out Harry Potter and the Chamber of Secrets for Signs. No surprise there. No love lost between you and M. Night Shyamalan. <laughs> so with our heavy overlap here, does anyone have a strong feeling? I do, but it's... Yeah. <laughs> go ahead. You go so... Ahead. I just also rewatched Minority Report. Lots of nostalgia here. It's really good and actually really good Colin Farrell performance as well. But I am all in on My Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> Me too. I mean, I think the movie, is it some type of masterpiece? Absolutely not. Does it have flaws? Of course. But it was, at the time, the highest grossing romantic mm-hmm. comedy ever. I mean, the fact that this movie grossed over $200 million for an indie romantic comedy, that's crazy. That's something Mm -hmm. we don't get. And I think that when we think about it, like, that's what I think of when I think of this award is I wish the Academy could find a way to recognize comedies more often. So that was my pick here. What did you pick, Ryan? So I'll, I'll put a pause here on my big fat Greek wedding and take a second to advocate for Spider Man. My thoughts here, Spider-Man is really the start of, I mean, technically there were comic book movies before, even X-Men a few years before that, but Spider-Man did bananas at the box office. This movie brought in over $800 million worldwide. This was truly the movie that I think made comic book movies mainstream and, and really laid the ground for the MCU, which may actually be a counter argument for you guys, but for me... It really, you know, speaks to you know, the power that that comic book movies would have over the future of movies till today. And obviously, you know, there's that iconic upside down kiss between Spider-Man and uh, MJ that is just super iconic. You know, my, my favorite replication is between Seth Cohen and Summer Roberts in the OC. Of course. But that's just such a that's an iconic cultural moment now that people look back and they say, oh, that upside down kiss. Oh, they're referencing Spider-Man. All that being said, though, I'm okay. I'll put some Windex on it, and I can support everything that was said (laughs) about my big fat Greek wedding. Spider-Man is important to me. The Sam Raimi Spider-Man adaptations are my favorite Marvel movies. I might just be putting my Spider-Man stock in another year, so not to jump on where I'm going, but I do love this movie, though, and I can totally see. I mean, it it was my second choice here. Lots of sequel love. Wow. I'm surprised. I mean, Spider-Man 2 is amazing. So, Ryan, if you're good with my Big Fat Greek Wedding. Yeah, like I said, um, and I I really don't want to repeat everything you guys said. I agree with everything that was said about my Big Fat Greek Wedding. I just remember that movie, again, being a romantic comedy and garnering the attention in the box office it did. It even got its own sitcom (laughs) spinoff on broadcast (laughs) television with Nia Vardalos. Like, this thing was a cultural sensation Mm -hmm. 
and I think does fit the bill for a popular Oscar win. And along with the other stats you listed earlier, Sophia, it also held the record for the highest grossing film never to become number one on the weekly North American box office charts until Sing from 2016. So the winner here for 2002 is My Big Fat Greek Wedding. So was there any film from 2002 that didn't meet the qualifications here, but you really wish you could have nominated? Yes. First and foremost, The Ring, which as a child seeing this traumatized me for years. I am still afraid of Samara, the girl from The Ring. So I definitely would have nominated that, but it didn't have a high enough audience score. I also really like Catch Me If You Can. That might be a hot take as far as the Leo performance goes. I love that one. My girl Jennifer Garner's in it, so I support. And then I think I also would have done um, The Royal Tenenbaums, the Wes Anderson movie, which I really adore. For me, also The Ring, and then not in the domestic top 20, but number one in Japan until very recently, Spirited Away. For me, the movie that I wish I could have nominated here is The Bourne Identity. Um, And there will be some more opportunities for The Bourne franchise Mm -hmm. later on. But for me, this is my favorite of the franchise. I also do want to mention Chicago, which was released in 2002. That was on the box office for 2003, though. So one of our carryovers. My nominees for 2003. This was really rough. Just before you say anything about my nominees here. All right. Bad Boys 2. Elf. Finding Nemo. The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King, and Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl. We are four for five. I'm sorry I switched out <laughs> your Bad Boys 2 for The Matrix Reloaded. Which, to be fair, I haven't seen The Matrix Reloaded, so I couldn't pick it. Before I get into my list, I will say that that movie is garbage, but the first Matrix is a phenomenal film. So my nominees were Elf, Finding Nemo, The Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and X2, X-Men United. Also, I've never seen X2, X-Men United. So it is the best of the X-Men films. There are a couple of the more recent ones that are are pretty good, too. But Mm -hmm. that, I think, was pretty widely understood to be one of the best. So we overlap quite a bit here for, again, does anyone want to make a case for a particular movie here? So I think the obvious case here that I think a lot of people would argue is Lord of the Rings, The Return of the King. This, you know, owned the Oscars. And if I'm being honest with myself, it's probably what would have won the popular Oscar if the Academy was voting. But that's not what we're doing today. Um, This is my opinion. And in my world, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl is my go to pick. We have to do Lord of the Rings. No, we already gave it to Lord of the Rings, and that's what we discussed. No, we we never discussed that you couldn't give it to another Lord of the Rings movie if we picked Fellowship, because if that was a rule, I would have picked Harry Potter. No, it's not a rule, but <laughs> you both were like, if this is our chance to give it to Lord of the Rings, this is where we're doing it. I never said that. My two choices are <laughs> Elf and Pirates of the Caribbean. Not even Finding Nemo? That's third. I mean... Along with all of our films that, you know, we have four, I don't expect you to choose Finding Nemo. Not Me? that that's shade. Yeah. I feel like you would choose Elf over Finding Nemo. No. Finding <gasps> Nemo is my number two after Return of the King. If I'm thinking about what I, like going back to like you in 2000 for those nominees, when I saw Finding Nemo, that was the first time when I remember like seeing a Pixar movie and loving it. 
P. Sherman, 42 Wallaby Way, Sydney, like all of that. I just mm-hmm. loved. I thought it was beautiful. And it's still, I think, one of my favorite Pixar movies. So that would be my second choice. I will say I did have a very fun time returning to Pirates. I did really like that. But Lord of the Rings, Return of the King, that's that's the pick. It's definitely the obvious pick. Going back to Finding Nemo, that is my favorite Pixar movie. I love that movie. If it was another year, it would have a lot better shot for me. But Pirates of the Caribbean launched a mega franchise. Mm -hmm. Movie upon movie. Uh, I don't have their their cumulative box office total, but I'm assuming that's in the billions. And this, I think, you know, Johnny Depp, obviously, for better or for worse, I think made him a global superstar with this franchise. And, and frankly, this first Pirates movie is a really great movie. You could definitely dislike any of the falling ones, and I'd probably agree with you. But when it comes to this one, it's a it's a well put together movie. Uh, it's shot beautifully. It's paced really well. It's a lot of fun. It's incredible. I am nice. yeah. <laughs> 100% echoing everything that you were saying. And there are many hot takes that will be happening this episode. Return of the King is my least favorite of the Lord of the Rings. It is crazy That's enough That's one of the that... worst opinions that you've had in a while. <laughs> well, it's... you know what, Sophia? You can count me with that opinion as well. And you know what? Worst is like saying it's my <laughs> least favorite child, right? Like, it's still my child. I still love that movie. But man, Peter Jackson, like, y- you could use an editor, I think. So my favorite battle sequence is from The Two Towers. And it was just shocking to me that a lot of the CGI work, because I watched the director's cuts pretty much back to back. And the CGI here was most noticeable in it's, Return of the King. What what year is it? No, I, I mean, I'm saying The Fellowship and The Two Towers was decent for their years. Well, I think there was a bigger focus on the, the bigotures and the practical effects, I think, in those first two movies. And I think by the time they got to around the third movie, they really did embrace that CGI. And unfortunately, this is kind of the era where CGI just doesn't age well. I mean, even frankly, in the in the most recent Hobbit movies, the CGI does talk not about look good. those are bad. That's other level. Those are not being nominated at all. Um, fine, S- Sophia. When you're saying those are bad, I thought you were just referring to our well, takes. That well, too. that too. Um, we those are some those are rough. All of the Lord of the Rings, Return of the King fans, I'm fighting for you here, but I'm okay with pirates. If we'd want to go that way, I would rather do that than Elf. I like Elf, but no. I really enjoyed my rewatch. Like I said, I think Orlando Bloom in that movie really just set my heart on fire as a child. And Gore Verbinski made it. And I kind of wish that more of these like franchise movies today were made by directors who were that committed and like had such strong execution on the movies and wanted to make mm-hmm. them fun. I still do remember seeing it for the first time and really enjoying it. So... I'm okay with that, but I will not stand for the Lord of the Rings slander on the third one. It's not that I dislike that movie. I still love that movie. It's just not the best of the three, and and Pirates is a better movie to you, but to many. To me. So would you rather have had Seabiscuit win Best Picture or Mystic River? (laughs) Is is neither an option? We know that Return of the King has the record for the most Oscars, yes, and you know my library story about Finding Nemo. But I'm in for pirates. Is this our mutual consensus? That's mutual fine. I'm okay with it. Consensus. I just wish you were more understanding of the impact of Lord of the Rings Return of the King and 
what it winning best picture meant for the franchise and just i wish you were more respectful of it but it's okay Ultimately, were those awards not kind of a nod to the franchise as a whole? And aren't we getting that with The Fellowship? They were, but I still think, and I love The Fellowship, but Two Towers to me is the weakest, for sure. Um, Return of the King is my favorite. And maybe that's because I love Aragorn. That's fine. So a, a painful conclusion here, but no, I think, I think it's okay. we have ultimately arrived. Just get, just get ready for later, because I will not be as flexible. <laughs> so our winner is Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl for 2003. Were there any movies that were ineligible, but that you wanted to nominate from 2003? I have a few here. Like I mentioned earlier, Bruce Almighty, ones that weren't eligible from the top 20 were Love Actually, Kill Bill, and School of Rock. Ryan? Yeah, I mean, for me this year, I could leave pretty much anything else. I think that the top five films I had, I, I love, but I don't need anything else. I also share School of Rock and Kill Bill. I also was really hoping that Freaky Friday would be eligible because I didn't want to nominate Bad Boys 2, but here we are. Nick, I'm really surprised that you didn't, you know, go with another one of your takes and nominate the Texas Chainsaw Massacre with Jessica Biel. <gasps> oh, no. I just didn't see it. Uh <laughs> If you were going to do horror, I think what 28 Days Later does for the zombie genre, kind of before zombies are big, that, that's a pretty big movie. Sure, oh, yeah. but Texas Chainsaw If I was going to add one. Otherworldly, that would have been on my top five. Oh, my God. The takes continue. <laughs> Let's move on to 2004. All right. My nominees for 2004 are 50 First Dates, Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, National Treasure, Shrek 2, and The Incredibles. So my nominees are National Treasure, Shrek 2, Spider-Man 2, The Born Supremacy, and The Passion of the Christ. My nominees are Harry Potter and the Prisoner of Azkaban, National Treasure, The Passion of the Christ, Shrek 2, and Spider-Man 2. Nick, your eyes are huge, but this was a huge movie. So here we deal. This is not a, this is not a, I love this film on The Passion of the Christ. It's more this coming from small town, 15,000 people, rural Ohio. The theaters were not empty for weeks. This was filled showing after showing after showing. When you think about, I think, a heavy, heavy interest in this film, especially back in 2004. I used to work at a movie theater and talking to my manager, there were two movies that people would walk out of the theater crying. One was Marley and Me, and the other was The Passion of the Christ. It was a really big deal. I mean, it is. Mm -hmm. I read, like, the highest grossing Christian film of all time, and you know they make those Christian movies now that you'll see in theaters, like, that come out around Easter or whatever. (laughs) What was that one that we saw? Oh, my God. Breakthrough. How could you forget? You know, this is a crazy one, but yeah, it was one where would I ever rewatch this or recommend it to someone? No, but I just couldn't ignore the gravitas of it at the time. And that's where I am too. It's a nominee. It's not what I'm going to advocate to win, but I couldn't leave that off my top five list, just knowing its impact, especially where I come from. We have two mutuals between all of us, and those are National Treasure and Shrek 2. Did anybody have 50 or Incredibles? It's just, it's lower tier Pixar for me, so I didn't nominate it. I'm also not a big Incredibles fan, which is funny given my love of the superhero genre. It just didn't connect to me. I do love Fifty First Dates, and I was going to put it in, but 
I just couldn't make room for it with the other ones that I really liked. And then, of course, like having to put The Passion of the Christ in there. That was kind of that slot for it. And is this your favorite Harry Potter? This is my favorite Harry Potter. This is when I think they graduate to feeling like more adults. And I think that's Mm -hmm. partially because Alfonso Cuaron directed it. Mm -hmm. And I think you can really feel that. It moves from feeling like a family film to moving into like a teen slash like a movie for adults, which I really appreciated watching it. And I really love the book, too. Does anyone want to make an impassioned case for one of our shared movies or maybe one that isn't shared? Other than The Patriot, I've never been prouder to be an American than watching National Treasure. Watching Nicolas Cage trying to solve mysteries and riddles back to our founders. It is just such a fun movie. It's got so much heart, so much personality to it. But ultimately, the the franchise doesn't have legs. And so that's probably what holds me back from saying that this needs to be my winner. Some of the plot from the latest Rick and Morty episode revolves around National Treasure, and that made me so happy. This would also be my pick. You know, I'm so disappointed that Disney has not gotten around to making a third. I mean, Nicolas Cage is not that big. Just making a better sequel. Or like like a a series even on Disney+. Plus. I would be okay with that even. Wait, I think that might be happening. Is it? I wouldn't be shocked, but also Disney Plus's track record so far isn't necessarily, in my opinion, the highest of quality. According to the Wikipedia page for National Treasure, in May 2020, Jerry Bruckheimer confirmed that not only was there a third film in development with the original cast returning, but also a Disney Plus series was in the works, having the same premise as the original, but focusing on a younger cast. Good old Bob Iger. I'm excited. He's coming in clutch for us. Honestly, just all of it. I love National (laughs) Treasure. It isn't my pick here, but Isabel and I, so for listeners, my sister, we watched this movie so many times that our mom hid the DVD. (laughs) (laughs) We knew the opening. Like, we could recite what was on that pipe. (laughs) <laughs> like the scroll at the beginning. Oh my God. It's so, we I watched it nonstop. <laughs> I just remember having a huge crush on Riley. So did my sister. You guys share that. <laughs> so Isabel and I definitely, we, we, we need to connect over our love for Riley. And that Trevor Rabin score, a favorite. This is like something you put on, you study to, you have 100%. on in the background. Really quick. My pick was actually for Spider-Man 2. This is... I would say probably top three favorite superhero movies ever for me. I think it's a wonderful sequel that I think, Ryan, this is kind of the launch pad for what Marvel, what the MCU has tried to do is to like make these characters humans that you can connect with and not just superheroes from space or like people who are like gods that you can't identify with. I feel like this movie in particular, one, has a great villain with Alfred Molina playing Doc Ock. It's amazing. Donna Murphy playing his wife. I love this movie so much. I like it better than the first one. So that's why it's my pick here. I just, it was the best for me of my nominees, but I will say I'm perfectly fine picking National Treasure if that is where we're headed. So ultimately Spider-Man 2, it was on my list. I still love this movie. I think that Spider-Man, the original, kind of set more in motion but I understand everything you're saying. And actually one of the greatest things about the character of Spider-Man is that he can be anybody. Mm -hmm. Anybody can be under the mask. And so it's really cool. And I think like you were saying, Spider-Man two, especially does a great job 
of letting the viewer see Spider-Man as someone who's just literally just trying to juggle mm-hmm. life. He's trying to keep his girlfriend happy while being Spider-Man and, and holding down a job. And, uh, you know, that's something super relatable. And I think it's something that makes Spider-Man 2 a really exceptional film as well. But I ultimately think that National Treasure is still my pick. Great. Well, National Treasure is our winner for 2004. You guys, these are great movies that we're picking here. I'm very happy. What other movies do you guys have that weren't eligible for this year? My big one is Mean Girls. I feel like that from 2004, if you're thinking about movies from then that have lasting legacies, that's the comedy you think of. At least that's the one that I do and was a seminal one for me. I think I would also nominate Kill Bill Volume 2. 13 Going on 30 was another good one. And this is probably going to sound weird and you might not expect me to like this movie and maybe I don't, but I would nominate Napoleon Dynamite because that was a thing. That was a <laughs> really popular thing. Dude, dude, can I have your tots? Can I have your like tots? Like the vote for Pedro stuff everywhere, that was really, really popular. No, Napoleon Dynamite was a sensation mm-hmm. in and of itself. I mean, it's so weird, so quirky. You couldn't imagine a movie like that would have captured kind of the public overall and it did for me mean girls sophia you mentioned is definitely up there um, obviously a cult classic a defining movie i think for the millennial generation this is still the time when if independent movies got any attention that was a big deal especially for napoleon dynamite and we talked about my big fat greek wedding we have another one coming up in 2006 so I'm all behind that. That wasn't one of my choices. I do agree with Mean Girls. And then my other two were Before Sunset and Shaun of the Dead. I did not even compute Shaun of the Dead being on my radar for this year. And I also agree with Nick that that Edgar Wright movie, him doing some of his finest work, it is so Mm -hmm. funny. Such a great parody of the genre. The whole trilogy is incredible. So my nominees for 2005 are Batman Begins. Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Madagascar, Star Wars Episode Three: The Revenge of the Sith, and Wedding Crashers. My nominees are The 40-Year-Old Virgin, Batman Begins, Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, The Chronicles of Narnia, The Lion, the Witch, and the Wardrobe, and Wedding Crashers. We are five for five. Wow. So we overlapped on Harry Potter and the Goblet of Fire, Batman Begins, and Wedding Crashers. I still am not quite sure that the winner is any of those. I'm scared that you're going to say the winner should be the 40-year-old virgin. I am going to say the winner should be the 40-year-old virgin. (laughs) (laughs) I mean, this is like the the Apatow thing, right? If you think about what was popular Mm -hmm. at the time, I think Steve Carell brings a lot of heart and comedy, obviously, to this movie. And without him, I don't think it would have been as successful. I think like all Apatow movies, it is too long. But this was a sensation at the time. Like people quoted this when he, you know, was getting his chest waxed and screamed Mm -hmm. Kelly Clarkson. It was, I just remember it being a phenomenon. And that's why I picked it in comparison, I think, to these other ones, which I do have a second place that I can share after you guys give yours. But compared to the other ones, this was just the standout to me as like the biggest thing in pop culture that year. So I don't have super strong feelings on any of the films in my list this year in terms of one of them needing to win over the other, even over the 40-year-old virgin. 
my memories of 40 year old virgin is that I don't really remember liking it that much. And I never revisit mm-hmm. it after I know it was a cultural sensation. I think it was one that just didn't connect with me. And, but I also do recognize that I think people love that film. And Sophia, your point about this being an Apatow movie was something I didn't think about. And he really does enter this period where Apatow films are kind of like the new de facto comedies that we get in theaters. Mm -hmm. And so the impact there is definitely a really good point to bring up. Ultimately, the films in my list, I I don't feel super strong about. I, I included a Star Wars film because I didn't previously. And just the overall impact of that franchise is substantial. But frankly, none of the prequel films are that stellar. So, you know, no, I, 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 so I'm not going to go to the toe. Yeah, I think I, I think that you guys make the case to me, and <laughs> I will, I'll deliver my vote to whichever of you convinces me. <laughs> I think one of the films here that had the biggest impact on me in 2005 was The Chronicles of Narnia. Again, a score I absolutely love. We have our Ice Queen mother. Tilda Swinton. We have Pita. There are so many great moments, and it's a Disney film. I think what I could choose is my other frat boy pick, Wedding Crashers. I mean, it has Rachel McAdams, which right there is a Bradley huge, Cooper. a huge win for me. Bradley Cooper, who I was a fan of since his Alias days. Me too, Ryan. I think Vince Vaughn is great in this. I agree, and I nominated it because I've rewatched Wedding Crashers more. I don't think I've ever rewatched The 40 Year Old Virgin, but to me, Wedding Crashers does not age as well. There's a montage at the beginning in particular that would just never happen and shouldn't have happened then, even. So I think just as far as like setting the stage for what was to come in comedies, that's why I would lean more towards The 40 Year Old Virgin. But I do like Wedding Crashers. Are we getting too far away from. You know, what is really the popular Oscar? What is the film here that we think just the people would have adored for this year? Well, I don't necessarily think that's Wedding Crashers either. So I'm okay with The 40-Year-Old Virgin. I will say I did love Narnia at the time. And of course, Tilda was the perfect ice queen mm-hmm. as the White Witch. Love her. Um, but I still think my vote is going to The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Yeah, I I can't get behind the Narnia pick. To me, those movies just always kind of felt like I will give you the score, especially Prince Caspian has an awesome score. But I just Mm -hmm. never I felt like they were Lord of the Rings wannabes and never really amounted to that level of success. I don't know about that. That was the vibe that I got. Yeah, I mean, I didn't really care about the sequels. Like, I really only cared about that one. Have you seen the actor who plays Prince Caspian? Because you might get more interested. Not my type. Yeah, I, she wouldn't. <laughs> this is true. Me, not her. I'm totally okay with The 40-Year-Old Virgin. This was a strong start for Apatow. Knocked Up came out after this, and I was not a fan of that. But in that realm, he kept making movies. So the winner for 2005 is The 40-Year-Old Virgin. Were there any films from 2005 that weren't eligible that you wish you could have nominated? I have Mr. and Mrs. Smith, which I really, really wanted to put on my top five. Mm -hmm. And then I also have Old Boy. I'm right there with you for Mr. and Mrs. Smith. I was kind of devastated when it didn't meet our Rotten Tomatoes threshold. Let me tell you, if this would have been an option, it would have 100% been my number one pick easily. Because this is the Brangelina thing. Do we want to just make it number one? Just bend the rules? Can we cheat and just do it? 
Yeah. The fact that we're all more passionate about this. Look, Mr. and Mrs. Smith is Angelina Jolie and Brad Pitt at their just power couple finest. I mean, just an absolute blast of a movie. They are having the time of their lives. I had the time of my life watching that movie. I would vote to forego our rules and just replace the four-year-old version. With Let's the- do Let's it. Do the it. Academy <laughs> has chosen Mr. and Mrs. Smith as the actual winner. Chaos. This is what we came for. Yes. Really quick aside. Last summer, my friends and I, we went to this like beach Airbnb and the only DVD that this place had was Mr. and Mrs. Smith. And you better believe that we watched it. It's just so much fun. Vince Vaughn, too. I didn't even know he was in this, thinking about it again. Yeah, he's like the friend down the street, right? My eyes are on Brangelina, and that's it. (laughs) All right, 2006. My nominees are Borat, Casino Royale, The Departed, The Devil Wears Prada, and Happy Feet. My nominees are Borat, Cars, Casino Royale, Click, and The Devil Wears Prada. No, no, no. Click? What? <laughs> the look on Sophia's face I, is horror. The, the Departed isn't there. Um, <laughs> but, okay, but Click right. is. Um, okay, Ryan, please read your nominees. Well, really quick, before we we really analyze oh, Nick's picture. Oh, my God. Very close to you, Sophia. Borat, Casino Royale, Devil Wears Prada, The Departed. And Mission Impossible 3 was my Okay, out. We overlapped on three, Borat, The Devil Wears Prada, and Casino Royale. The Departed is the winner because this is the poppiest movie Scorsese's ever made. It's basically him saying, I'm making a greatest hits album. Here it is. And mm-hmm. But here's the deal. How popular. It was super Departed? popular. You have Jack it- Nicholson, Matt Damon, and Leo in a movie. And it made tons of money. Is it Casino Royale popular? Well, that's Bond. That's a franchise film. It's different. Yeah, but we're talking the reinvention of Bond, introduction of Daniel Craig, bringing that Bourne identity kind of vibe to the films. It really sets the stage for essentially our entire generation of James Bond. After, to be frank, the Pierce Brosnan movies just becoming goofy and silly. I mean, this movie, to me, is the essential James Bond film. And for me, it has to be the winner for 2006. Ryan. Okay, yes, Eva Green is my favorite Bond girl ever as Vesper Berlin. Perfect. And I love Daniel Craig, and I agree. I When I saw this movie, I did really love it. But again, I'm just like going with the best movie here. He's getting together Look, the most its... popular people at the time, basically. But this was so popular. And a lot of people who don't follow Scorsese would probably list this as their favorite Scorsese movie. Like this and Goodfellas. It is. It's it's my favorite Scorsese movie, too. And I agree with everything you're saying. I couldn't say that anything you say is wrong. It's just Casino Royale came out this year. so Yes, but that's not a better movie. Neither are movies on my list. We need to talk about and Click. I'm not saying... We need to, we need to talk about yes, Click. We do need to take a pause away from like a true, real debate to talk about Click. <laughs> I will say I rewatched The Departed in May of last year, and I forgot how I felt about it. I gave it a really, really high rating on Letterboxd. And I think the fact that this isn't Scorsese's best is maybe why I didn't put it down, but I also didn't see this until way after 2006. So part of me doesn't associate that 
with this year, but me being way overly emotional about the click ending. I just, so you're going based on how you felt when you were 15. Is that what we're doing? I mean, that is a part of it, right? I mean, it's a part of it. The nostalgia is hard to discount. We're all biased towards it, but I mean, oh my Mm -hmm. God, God forbid I said click. Ryan, if you said click, I would have maybe expected it and would have been, you know, okay. (laughs) But to hear click and to not hear The Departed was similar to last year when Nick said The Lion King instead of Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. (laughs) (laughs) It's fine. We're good. I'm okay not giving it to The Departed. I can move on. Well, I mean, I guess I don't know where Nick's heart is other than with click. Well, that's not my choice here. And I put Cars on because it did start a trilogy. It's the best of them. It's not my favorite Pixar by any means, other than just it being such a popular universe that people were introduced to. That's why that's on my list. My pick here, I agree with what you're saying about Casino Royale, Ryan. So I'm okay with that but i think my pick would be for the devil wears prada okay oh my god i was so scared you were gonna Swerve. say Bora. i was like <laughs> i was ready for it i was like oh no no oh, no, 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 no no i can't <laughs> i just believe me huge devil wears prada fan i made fun of anne hathaway earlier she's awesome in this movie meryl streep's performance incredible best use Maybe of u2 best. song in any film i've ever seen absolutely but it doesn't scream. It's a, it's a classic for sure. People love it. It's got a lot of rewatchability, but it seems to me that Casino Royale is just at another level. So I think with Casino Royale, I did love it at the time. You know, I remember going to see it, but Skyfall has really become like the better Daniel Craig Bond movie for me. Is like the one that I think of for him. And The Devil Wears Prada, I mean, it gave us Emily Blunt. It has an amazing Meryl Streep performance. People are still talking about how terrible Anne Hathaway's boyfriend is in that movie and how he's Which the is villain. a terrible take, but we'll take that offline. I love The Devil Wears Prada more, but I do feel like the two obvious choices are Borat and The Departed. So Borat was an experience. I went into that film not even knowing what to expect. And I don't know that I stopped laughing from the start to the end of that film. It was hilarious, and I didn't connect with the most recent Borat the way that I connected with the original Borat, so I see an argument there for sure. From what you both are saying, we have three picks here that could win for different reasons, so we just have to come to a consensus on what reasoning we're using for this year, be it popular, be it cultural phenomenon, be it the start to a new bond. By all means, Sophia, move at a glacial pace in deciding. (laughs) My kind of general thing here is just I picked movies within our rules, and I'm going to pick the best one out of those, and that is The Departed. Do we have um, rules for if we can't decide? I could go with The Departed. Really? I don't remember the Bond film super well. I thought this was the best one, but you saying Skyfall has me all kinds of confused right now. If you're not going for The Devil Wears Prada, I will go for The Departed. I trust my old review of this movie. (laughs) It's not even like in my top 10 or 15 even, Scorsese, but I think it's like him doing pop music. It's okay, Sophia. You can have this one. I'm still coming out on top so far. Are we sure we don't want to choose Click? (laughs) I mean, 
that end scene with Kate Beckinsale crying over dying Adam Sandler. Oh my God, the tears. I don't remember this at all. I really, I think I saw it at the dollar. Just watch the final 20 minutes. There are also some very cringe moments that (laughs) would not fly today. But I will say that I think this is Adam Sandler's most emotional performance. So our winner is The Departed. Were there any other movies that maybe didn't meet our criteria, but you wanted to nominate from 2006? I'll just give a shout out to V for Vendetta, which is a graphic novel adaptation that I think a lot of people really loved. Well, if you want, I can go back and switch out Casino Royale with Night at the Museum. Would that have a chance? No, it has zero chance with me. Really? I did like (laughs) Night at the Museum, like back when I saw it. That was also another big moment in movie history. Others that I have that weren't eligible were The Prestige, maybe my favorite Nolan, The Descent, one of my favorite horror movies, and then Little Miss Sunshine, which I mentioned earlier being this huge Sundance hit. This was the most expensive purchase from Sundance to this point in history, and I have fond memories of Tony Collette running with this yellow Volkswagen and Abigail Breslin dancing with Alan Arkin. So some of mine, I would say, would be Inside Man. I really liked that. Definitely Little Miss Sunshine, Brokeback Mountain. Okay, my nominees for 2007 are 300, The Bourne Ultimatum, Harry Potter and the Order of the Phoenix, Ratatouille, and Transformers. My nominees are 300, The Bourne Ultimatum, I Am Legend, Knocked Up, and Transformers. My nominees are 300, The Bourne Ultimatum, Juno, Ratatouille, and Transformers. I really like Transformers. (laughs) You don't need to say that. With any shame, that has to be the winner of 2007. This movie, I saw a preview for before the second Pirates of the Caribbean movie. And I remember the entire theater saw that it was, at the end, it was like, Transformers. And everyone started laughing because it was just so (laughs) preposterous. Like, this was like the first of like, we're going to take these like 80s kids toys and turn it into a movie. And so I went into this movie with the lowest of expectations and I walked out just enchanted. I watched this movie probably like three times in theaters. I had so much fun. Obviously Shia was in Even Stevens, but this is his really big movie debut. And then obviously the Lincoln Park soundtrack. I mean, who did not jam out to that song? I mean, I also love Megan Fox and I know that like her in this movie and everything with Michael Bay and with Shia LaBeouf is definitely a thing and... I just support her in all of her endeavors. And I would, Ryan, I would never say I was like enchanted by this movie. That is not. <laughs> oh, I was, I was under a spell for sure. But I remember it being like the thing. That being said, my winner's Ratatouille because it is my favorite Pixar movie, besides one more that I'll talk about very soon. So, my big sad confession is that I've never seen Ratatouille. And it absolutely is like the Pixar movie that when mm-hmm. I see it on paper, I know that I'm going to love it. I just haven't gotten to it. So my pick is also Ratatouille, but I will say 300 was a big moment Mm -hmm. for men everywhere. It was gorgeous. No, it's actively ugly. Well, there were were many gorgeous things about it, at least 300 of them. I, I would say that I would almost punish it because it then created 
Zack Snyder, who unfortunately <laughs> went on to create just just so many awful DC films. But he, I, I do have to hand it to him. 300, for me, is probably like the only Zack Snyder film that I actually really like. Do we give it to a movie that Ryan hasn't seen, or I, do I we think give so. it to Transformers? I just, Ratatouille is such a beautiful, just delightful movie that holds up on rewatch, and I mm. remember when I saw this in theaters, too, just... Pixar up to this point had kind of been hit or miss for me, honestly, with Cars and The Incredibles. But when Ratatouille came out, I was interested again. It was also nominated for a lot of Oscars. Not that we're considering that for all of these, but it was a hit with audiences and critics. Well, let's do it. Ratatouille is our winner for 2007. Exciting. What other movies did you both want to nominate that weren't eligible? So I think a really obvious one here is Shooter. This, I think, became a really beloved Mark Wahlberg movie that I think in general, people love this movie. This was something that if you had cable, people would watch this movie on repeat. I'm telling you, this is a red state movie, guys. What is Shooter? I'd also give a shout out to Pan's Labyrinth just because I love that movie. Okay, I'm going to swerve here from Shooter and say... No Country for Old Men, There Will Be Blood, Atonement, Michael Clayton, basically everything that was nominated <laughs> These are just for Best, Best Picture, Picture nominees. These are not popular <laughs> Oscars. No, I'm telling you what I would have nominated if I could have. Yeah. That's what we're doing right now. I probably would have nominated Superbad as well. That was definitely a thing. McLovin. That's mine along with There Will Be Blood. You got both of mine. We're aligned. Superbad was just peak high school. Mm -hmm. The introduction of Emma Stone, which I think is a pretty big deal for culture in the 2010s. Mm -hmm. Okay. So my nominees for 2008 are The Dark Knight, Iron Man, Kung Fu Panda, Mamma Mia, and WALL-E. My nominees for 2008 are The Dark Knight, Mamma Mia, Tropic Thunder, Twilight, and WALL-E. And my nominees are The Dark Knight, Iron Man, Mamma Mia, Twilight, and Wally. You nominated Twilight? Oh, yes. <laughs> yes. Oh, you guys are really sparkling right now. <laughs> I do. I am Team Edward. Am I forgiven? <laughs> <laughs> yes, you're forgiven. I, this is just one of those movies that, like, I can't let millennials down. This was such a thing. Mm-hmm. Oh, my God. I saw this. This had the record for the movie that I saw the most times in theaters for a long time. My friends and I would go like after school just to see Edward get out of the car with the Ray-Bans on. Like it was a thing. (laughs) That's not my winner though, but I'm happy that you nominated it too. Yeah, I had to nominate it because to this day it's being talked about and I didn't see it until last year. It's the only one I've seen of the series. It's the only one you need to see. I have not read the books. So yeah, it's definitely not the best of the group here, but I had to mention it. My pick, this is the easiest for me, despite loving Wally and maybe being my favorite Pixar of all time, The Dark Knight. Yeah, this is really the only choice here. I can't make a case for anything else, even though I love Mamma Mia dearly. Wally's also my favorite Pixar movie, other than Ratatouille and Twilight. You know, special place in my heart, but The Dark Knight is it. Yeah, I mean, should I die a hero here or become a villain? Because. <laughs> One thought that does cross my mind is Iron Man. And Iron Man is the first MCU film and the start of the most valuable franchise in film history. 
our scales of value are different, but sure, sure, and that that's a fair point. Maybe most lucrative, you could say. Sure, that. It, yeah, absolutely. It's <laughs> it's padding the Disney bottom line. Robert Iger got a nice uh, yacht because of this franchise, but The Dark Knight is the greatest comic book film of all time. It's not just a good comic book film; it's a great film, just in general. Just sheer numbers. It made over a billion dollars worldwide. I don't think a single superhero movie since The Dark Knight has come close to what it does. I think that's part of just what MCU movies are trying to do versus what Nolan is doing here, because this feels like a Michael Mann movie. It feels like a thriller. It feels like a crime drama. It feels like all of these things. And it's also a sequel. The the feeling you have when you're watching this movie, like you are surrounded. Mm-hmm. It's so pervasive. You feel like you are terrorized. The, the ability that Nolan has to set that stage in a film and you just feel all consumed by just this world spinning out of control is just i mean mm-hmm. goosebump raising for me i'll never forget like the opening scene seeing that mm-hmm. in a theater with all the school buses and that bank robbery and just all of them talking about the joker that really i'm getting goosebumps thinking about it because that's just ugh. combine that with the han zimmer score mm-hmm. which i'm like hearing mm-hmm. in my head right now and the only joker performance ever in history mm-hmm this is the one for sure. I mean, Heath Ledger's turn as the Joker obviously is everybody understands this to be a, a phenomenal performance. I think it's it's an all-time performance for me. It's a well-deserved Oscar. You know, winning for playing a villain in a comic book movie, that's a big deal. I'll never forget just the scene of him walking out in that nurse outfit of the hospital as he's mm-hmm. blowing it up. Oh my god, that was so scary. The pencil scene, of course. The like pencil oh, trick. Oh my god. Oh my god. <laughs> Makes me cringe every time I watch it. Mm -hmm. Even the replacement of Katie Holmes with Maggie Gyllenhaal in this film and her performance Mm -hmm. is so well done. And when Bruce Wayne has to decide between saving Harvey Dent or his love interest, you mean you're totally torn along with him. Also, I think we do have to mention that this was what caused the Academy to rethink everything. When The Dark Knight was not nominated for Best Picture, this was the impetus for expanding it to 10, and it really showed that somehow the Academy, in their opinions, they were really detached from the rest of the world and what they were thinking and what their opinions were and what they cared about. And, you know, not nominating this for Best Picture was kind of a big middle finger to everyone who worked on this movie and what it had accomplished, and it changed everything. It changed comic book movies, it changed the way that the Oscars work, so the winner for 2008 is The Dark Knight. Were there any other films in 2008 that you wish you could have nominated? So I almost nominated the Sex and the City movie. It did meet the qualifications, so I considered it about as long and meandering as an Apatow movie. But also, I would say at the time, Step Brothers and Forgetting Sarah Marshall, those were, I feel like, the really popular ones of the year. Forgetting Sarah Marshall was on my list of wish I could nominate. I will say, along with the soundtrack to Mamma Mia, I would have nominated Four Christmases for Vince Vaughn's gagging scene alone. Oh, you talked about this on our holiday movie draft. I remember (laughs) this now. (laughs) All right, guys, our last year. Here are my nominees for 2009. Avatar, The Hangover, The Proposal, Taken, and Up. We are so close. I switched Harry Potter and the Half-Blood Prince for The Proposal. 
2009 was a really hard year for me. This was when I was working at a movie theater, and so I saw everything, and I have just so many happy memories. So ultimately, it was hard for me to narrow down, but my list is Avatar, Fast and Furious, Star Trek, Taken, and The Hangover. And we should note, just in case we have any sticklers out there, Taken was released in 2008 in France, but domestic release is 2009. So that's what we're following here. So we have three in common. We have Avatar, The Hangover, and Taken. I have a really clear winner here. My winner is Avatar. I see you, Sophia. That is exactly where I'm at. All three of these movies were big moments. Mm -hmm. But my clear winner is also Avatar. Even though we haven't seen any of the sequels yet. I know. They're apparently coming for the next, like, eight years, just like the Star Wars releases have been. So, 2022, we'll be seeing you, Avatar 2. I mean, this is the highest grossing film of all time, though Endgame did beat it out for a short period of time. Isn't Gone with the Wind highest? Maybe adjusted for inflation. I'm an adjusted for inflation type of girl, loving my classic Hollywood, so... This movie is, it was more than just a film to me. It was an experience. This was the introduction to 3D for a lot of theaters across Mm -hmm. the country. And I remember we actually got a movie theater projector installed for Avatar. And going into that movie and just seeing everything come alive around you, you, I mean, it was a level of immersion that I don't think any 3D movie has ever lived up to after, but was just a a whole new experience I'd never had before watching it. This may be one of my only 3D viewings ever. I know it was my first. That's exactly what I was going to say. I think this is the only movie I've seen in 3D. (laughs) And I sure hope Kate Winslet Underwater does 3D justice again next year. (laughs) This movie did definitely feel like you were entering a brand new world and... I haven't actually rewatched it since going back to theaters, but I did see it multiple times when it was in theaters. Um, And I just remember it was the thing that everyone talked about for an entire year. I do have to mention The Hangover, though. My love for Bradley Cooper. This was a big deal in that part of my life, of course, but I have to pick Avatar. This is The Hangover is really when Bradley Cooper became just mega famous. Everybody knew who he was. And the song that they sing, What Do Tigers Think Of When They're Taking a Little mm-hmm. Tiger Snooze? I mean, it, it's such a great song. So many great moments to that movie. So many quotable moments. It, it's one of my favorite comedies mm-hmm. of all time. Okay, so our winner for 2009 is Avatar. Were there other movies that weren't eligible that you guys wish you could have nominated? So Slumdog Millionaire was a 2009 release, and I think it was actually very, very popular. Um, So I definitely want to give that a shout out. There's also the Hannah Montana movie, which so many good songs. A Taylor Swift song. There is a Taylor. And then there's the hoedown throwdown. (laughs) My choice here is Inglorious Bastards. My choices were Inglorious Bastards and Paranormal Activity. Another film I want to shout out, but not even close to reaching the popular is 500 Days of Summer, which I just love. Me too. Yeah. Okay, so let's run through our winners. So for 2000 through 2004, we have Gladiator, The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring, My Big Fat Greek Wedding, Pirates of the Caribbean, The Curse of the Black Pearl, and National Treasure. And then 2005 to 2009... In a shocking turn of events, Mr. and Mrs. Smith, (laughs) The Departed, Ratatouille, The Dark Knight, and Avatar. 
Okay, so now let's reveal what our number one winner of the decade is. To save us some time, we're doing one. On our last one, we did top fives. It's clear for me, I would choose The Dark Knight. Ryan? It's really hard. The Dark Knight is up there for me, but The Lord of the Rings, The Fellowship of the Ring had more of an impact to me. I think the impact of Lord of the Rings overall just puts it at the top for me. And I'm going with Mr. and Mrs. Smith. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just kidding. I'm going with The Dark Knight. I was going to say that was going to be my top three. (laughs) I mean, it's still up there for me, but The Dark Knight is number one. (laughs) Chaos. Well, Ryan, thank you so much for being here with us in this very long (laughs) recording, this journey to deciding the best popular Oscar winners of the 2000s. Guys, I have had an absolute blast getting to talk about all these movies, walking back down memory lane, going through all of the nostalgia with you. I hope if we have one big takeaway from this decade, it's that we aren't as far apart as we think we are, and that we, we at the end of the day, I think all love a lot of the same things. Thanks again, guys. And um, I told you guys this was going to be unhinged. <laughs> so unwell. And next time on Oscar Wilde, we'll be talking about some recent releases, Some that may have Oscar potential, some that may not. Those include The Green Knight, Old, Pig, and Stillwater. I can't wait to talk about these movies with you. Thank you again to Ryan for being here. And thank you everyone for making it this far in this episode and for listening. Let us know what popular movies from the 2000s you would have nominated for the fictional Best Popular Film Oscar. Yes, thank you Ryan for joining us and we'll see you all next week.